Hello and welcome to Camel Screen Guild Players from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild Players. The Screen Guild play tonight, Tennessee Johnson. The starring players, this is Gary Cooper. This is Ruth Hussey. This is Lionel Barrymore. And this is Ralph Morgan. Tonight, Lady Astor presents the Screen Guild players in a radio adaptation of the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer picture, Tennessee Johnson. It stars Gary Cooper as Andrew Johnson, Ruth Hussey as Eliza McArdle, and Lionel Barrymore as Thaddeus Stevens. Our story is told by Ralph Morgan. early 1830s, Andrew Johnson left Raleigh, North Carolina, and headed west, a runaway apprentice tailor with a price on his head. And he didn't stop in his flight until he reached Greenville, Tennessee. There, Andy Johnson quit running and opened a tailoring shop, bartering his services for the necessities of life. And on his second business day, he made the most successful trade of his career. He was in his new shop, nailing up a shelf, when a young woman entered. Good morning, Mr. Johnson. We haven't exactly met, have we? I'm Eliza McArdle from the library across the street. Good morning, miss. Everyone's so pleased to have a tailor in Greenville again. Thank you, miss. That bundle of clothes I left here yesterday is ready. I'll take them now. Oh, so it was you left them. Well, there ain't nothing been done to them clothes, miss. Those clothes... I, I didn't know what you wanted done. Well, my note, the, the instructions were plainly written. I know, uh, uh, miss, but, uh, well, I can't read. Oh. Oh, well. well. Will you please lengthen the dress two inches at the hem and mend the tear in the cloak? Uh, I'll have them fixed tomorrow. And how much will it cost, Mr. Johnson? Miss, I can't write no more than I can read. I ain't asking no favors from anybody, but a fair bargain's a fair bargain. I don't understand. Besides, uh, you know about books. Well, little, Mr. Johnson, but I asked you how much my work will cost. And you speak nice. 
Thin clothes, I said. Uh, yes, I corrected you. It just slipped out. I got to learn to speak right. Now, you speak about the nicest I know of. Miss McArdle, I'll sew you all the clothes you can bring me homespun for if, if you'll learn me to read and write. Well, your proposal, Mr. Johnson, seems rather unusual. I'd, the speaking I'd get from listening well, to you. I'll, I'll have to think it over. I'm making you a fair offer. Uh, I never had no chance to learn. Will you learn me? I have never had a chance to learn. Will you teach me? I have never had a chance to learn. Will you teach me? Andrew, you've learned to read almost as well as I. Why do you want to go on with the lessons? For a man like me... There can be a lot of learning in a young woman that ain't in a book lesson. Besides learning to read and write, you, you've learned to say nice things sometimes. Eliza, <laughs> Eliza there's, there's music inside me that almost drowns out my thinking. But I'm a poor man. And the law says a man without property is a mudsill. For any, for any other man to wipe the boots on. Why, no law says that. Don't have to say it. It's true, ain't it? My father was a mudsill, and he died one. Oh, white trash. That was him, and, and that's me. Don't you know we were all mudsills once, Andrew? Come here. Here, read the Declaration of Independence. Ah, I've heard that spotted by stump speakers, speakers every 4th of July since I can remember. Well, maybe you didn't understand it. Read this part, here. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Yeah, fine words, but they ain't true. Go on that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why, man ain't even got the right to vote unless he owns property. And why not make it your business to see that men without property are given the right to vote? My business? Certainly. Oh, you've got a temper, Andrew, but, but people like you. Go out and talk to them, make speeches, stand up for your rights, and theirs too. Now, people wouldn't listen to me. Oh, I think they would. Anyway, the Constitution says you can try to make them listen. Seems as if I never really understood what the Constitution meant before. I guess plain people can't agitate the way you want me to in them foreign countries. Those foreign countries? No, of course they can't. But the Constitution guarantees me life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All yours, Andrew. For the taking. And, uh, and it says we, uh, you and I, were created equal. Will you marry me, Eliza? Well, I hoped you'd ask me, Andrew. That's why I made you read it. After their marriage, Andrew Johnson began his lifelong political fight for the common man, guided and inspired by Eliza. And by the time of the secession... Tennessee had sent Andy to the Senate of the United States. There, he alone, of all the Southern senators, refused to join the Confederacy. During the war between the states, President Lincoln credited Johnson with having saved the Union by his defense of Tennessee and was able to force his convention of Northern Republicans to nominate this Southern Democrat as his vice presidential running mate. This was an affront at Pennsylvania's political boss, Thaddeus Stevens never forgave. 
I'll run that X Taylor out of Washington if it's the last thing I do. Shortly after Lincoln's assassination, when Andy Johnson was trying to patch up the torn garment of our union with malice toward none, with charity for all, Thad Stevens arrived at the White House and called for a showdown. Mr. President, I don't like your namby-pamby attitude toward the South. Well, Stevens, there are a lot of things I don't like about you. I don't see where either one of us is, can do much about it. Well, then, maybe I'd better explain. It's up to Congress to make the laws, Mr. President, and it's up to you to execute them. I've come here to get your cooperation for the next eight years. An offer to buy me with a second term? Well, is one politician to another? Yes. Rebellion must be punished. Refuse my offer and Congress, the press, and the money power will be against you. Yes, every power will be against me, except the common people that Abe Lincoln said the Lord must have loved because he made so many of them. You refuse to cooperate in punishing the rebels? I do, and you won't punish them either. <laughs> Pretty sure of yourself, eh, Jandy? Yes, I have a power vested in the president by the Constitution that Congress can't touch, Stevens. It's the pardoning power. Huh? Why, you wouldn't dare. Huh? Just watch me, Stevens. You got here just in time to see me sign a proclamation pardoning all and restoring full citizenship to all who fought for the lost cause in the war between the states. All? Did you say all? All. Not Jeff Davis. Jeff Davis, too. Lee? Lee as well. Lincoln freed the slaves, and I'm freeing their masters. Jeff Davis set free. Lee not brought to justice... Why, they'll form their arms again. They'll rise again. You really believe that, don't you? I I never really thought you did. Ah, you know dang well I do. It means a new civil war. These men must die to save this country. You got me licked, Johnson. Withdraw this thing and I'll quash the impeachment. So I can keep my job. If I let you rig up military tribunals to hang half the decent men in the South. Right. You'll have to kill me first, Stevens. <laughs> Not at all, Andy. Not at all. <laughs> I'll get you out by strictly constitutional means. The Constitution provides that if the House of Representatives impeaches the president for high crimes and misdemeanors, the Senate shall try the case and by a two-thirds vote can remove the president from office. I got the votes to do it. But you haven't got the facts to make it stick with the people. I'm dying, Andy. I ain't got time left to fight you. You can't fight me anyway. I hold the high cards. And speaking of cards, did you ever see this one before? I don't know. What is it? It's the card John Wilkes Booth left for you at your hotel a couple of hours before he assassinated Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) What do you think the people will say to that, Andy? So the curtain falls on the first act of Tennessee Johnson, starring Ruth Hussey, Gary Cooper, Lionel Barrymore, and Ralph Morgan. Before we hear Act Two, a word from our hostess, Lady Esther. A few weeks ago, the director of a new Broadway musical comedy invited me to a rehearsal of the show. I sat up front in the theater, spellbound, especially fascinated when the famous star stepped before the footlights for her song and dance number. You see... I'd heard about her for years, but when I actually saw her, I must admit I was a little disappointed. 
Her face seemed a little drawn, a little worn, and she looked too old for the part. But as she finished her song, the director said, Okay, now let's run through it again with the lights this time. All right, he shouted to the electrician. Hit her with a spotlight. Then that's not right, he called. Cut the spot and throw on the floodlight. And then before my eyes, an astonishing thing happened. I saw the right light play full on the woman standing there. I saw its magic transform her. Why, that light took ten years off her face. She looked so lovely, so alive, so heartwarming. Well, you know, the glamorous change in that woman's face under just the right shade of light is what happens to any woman when she discovers her perfect shade of face powder. Now, I can't tell you what your right shade is. I defy any person to tell you. You must discover your right, your perfect shade. Yes, I'll send you all nine lovely, exciting shades of Lady Esther face powder free. One among all the rest will instantly make you look lovelier, more radiant, more youthful. To receive my nine shades of face powder as a gift, just send me your name and address on a postcard. Mail it tonight to Lady Esther, Chicago. Now the curtain rises on the second act of Tennessee Johnson, starring Gary Cooper as Andrew Johnson, Lionel Barrymore as Thaddeus Stevens, Ruth Hussey as Andrew's wife, Eliza Johnson, and Ralph Morgan as our narrator. Mr. Morgan continues the story. night that Andrew Johnson refused to barter his principles for his presidential position, Thaddeus Stevens suffered a stroke. But as soon as the vindictive old man had recovered, he and his gang began the assassination of another president. But this political murder was to be accomplished by strictly constitutional means. The president of the Senate pro tempore recognizes the spokesman for the House of Representatives. In the name of the House of Representatives and of all the people of the United States, we do impeach Andrew Johnson, President of the United States, of high crimes and misdemeanors. We shall exhibit our articles of impeachment and make them good. In fulfillment of the mandate laid down in Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court must preside over the Senate when, as now... This body is called upon to sit as a high court of justice in judgment upon the President of the United States. The Honorable Chief Justice of the United States. The chair recognizes Mr. Stevens. Mr. Chief Justice, as shown by his official acts, messages, speeches of mingled intoxication and rage, from the time when the blood of the martyred and saintly Lincoln was warm on the floor of Ford's Theater, the aim and purpose of Andrew Johnson in office has been to subvert law, usurp authority, insult and outrage Congress. The House of Representatives, by solemn resolution, instructs us, its managers, to demand that the Senate is made mandatory by the... While they're debating my political future in the Senate... Why won't you let me be there? What are you thinking of, Eliza? The letters from the people are still coming in, aren't they? 
Mm, the people are for me, ten to one. Of course they are. That wire from Greenville. I remember it. Word for word. Two million of us voted to put you in. How come then 36 senators can put you out? I love that, too. But wasn't there something else in that wire? About a trainload of men with guns, if you needed them? What are you getting at, Eliza? I was thinking what your words told them the night Mordecai Milligan was killed is what your acts must tell them now. No violence. The law. You see, dear, this trial is rousing passions that are too terrible as it is. How can I help it if people get stirred up? I'm a bit stirred up myself. Excuse me, Eliza. I have an appointment with Thad Stevens. Andrew, dear, don't do exactly what Thad Stevens wants you to do. My dealings with Stevens have been all in private. I've been waiting for the day when I could stand up and face him before the American people. And as you and Stevens rage at each other, using better angry words as weapons, the people will use weapons that aren't words. Riots and bloodshed. Perhaps ten men will die, perhaps ten thousand. Oh, darling, win or lose, the evening years will be good to spend together back in Tennessee. And we shall sleep well if no man dies because of what you do or say. All right, Eliza. You win. You and Thad Stevens. Eliza had been right. Thad Stevens did want Andy, Andy Johnson to appear in the Senate chamber. And when Andy did not arrive, Stevens was furious. He demanded that the president be dragged before the chamber like a common criminal. But the demand was refused by Chief Justice Chase who, like everyone else in the chamber, knew that the impeachment proceedings were an absolute frame-up. It was then that Thaddeus Stevens played his trump card, implying that Andrew Johnson had been involved in the conspiracy to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. And as evidence, he offered the confession signed by George Atzerall, one of the convicted conspirators, to substantiate his implication. When Johnson heard of this final calumny, he and Eliza hurried to the Senate. Mr. Chief Justice, the closing speech for the defense will be made at his own desire by the respondent. That is in order. The president may proceed. Some charges have been made against me of such a nature that not merely the president of the United States, but any honest man should meet them with contempt too deep for words. <laughs> I, I hope the history books will... Record that applause because much of it comes from senators who are going to vote in a few minutes for my removal from office. And I can sense that nearly all of you feel the disgrace it is to the Senate and to the whole country that our political differences should lead to the concoction of a plot of this kind. Mr. Chief Justice! Mr. Chief Justice! I rise because the great criminal himself must not be permitted with diabolical cunning to win cheap applause and, and, and mislead certain senators by proclaiming himself guilty of a crime of which he is not accused. Murder is directed only against a single life. Andrew Johnson, your crimes were directed at the life of your country. I charge you with no such trivial offense as murder. <laughs> no, I never believed in that confession of asteroids. Is that all you have to say, Stevens? Yes, I think that'll be about enough, too. <laughs> Senators, 
My crime is not contained in the flimsy charges trumped up in the articles of this impeachment. My crime appears to have been one of misunderstanding. I thought the war had ended. It seemed so. No enemy confronted us on any field. The hand of friendship was stretched out, and I clasped it. Is forgiveness a crime? My enemies think so. They are not willing to forgive. They have not permitted the duly elected senators and representatives of the southern states to assume their rightful places in these chambers. The man most responsible for the fact that we are still at war, although the guns are silent, is Thaddeus Stevens. I wish to say that he is a sincere man. It is his honest view that by pardoning the Confederate leaders, I made an inevitable, uh, made inevitable another civil war. If I am removed from office, there will be no government of the United States but a self-perpetuating tyranny based upon bayonets, confiscation, and disfranchisement. Lincoln fought the war to restore the Union, but while those Southern members are barred from their desks, there is no Union. Senators, while we were fighting one another, a European tyrant seized our sister Republic of Mexico. If we continue a divided nation, the day will come when armies and fleets from overseas will conquer and enslave not only our Central and South American brethren, but ourselves. As our forefathers knew, united we stand, divided we fall. Senators, the issue before you and before the country is not my fate as an individual. It is the issue of union or disunion. And upon its solution depends, for our descendants, if not for ourselves, our nation's survival or its destruction. The event is in the hand of God. Looks like we'll have to go back to Greenville, Eliza. Been thinking about that pretty speech you made me about me resting in our evening years. I ain't going back to rest. I'm going back to fight. I'll start again. <laughs> Run for sheriff, maybe. And I'll take the stump for you. Who knows? Might even get my get back my old seat in the Senate. No man's ever started all over again from the bottom after he's been president. But you'll do it, Andrew. You know, I never could do anything without you, Eliza. We'll do it. We must restore to our country what we two found together. Life, liberty. The pursuit of happiness. What is it, Lonsbury? Looks as though it's all over, Mr. President. 35 to 18, and the only senator who hasn't voted is Stevens' man, Hyler. They need only that one vote to get the two-thirds. We have one chance. Hyler suffered a stroke and was carried from the chamber. If Stevens' gang can't revive him in time to, in time to vote, well, well, we won. You heard me. Get a stretcher and bring Hyler in here. But he's unconscious. Ah. Andrew Johnson, President of the United States, has been adjudged guilty by 35 senators. 18 have adjudged him not guilty. Hyler just came too sad to drag him in here. Therefore, two-thirds not having judged him guilty... Mr. Chief Justice, Senator Hyler has returned to the floor. He has publicly announced he was going to vote guilty. That vote is essential to save this country. Mr. Chief Justice, the roll call was completed. The president stands acquitted by one vote. Under the rules, 
Any senator who appears on the floor before the result has been announced is entitled to vote. The chair has not completed the announcement. The clerk will call Senator Hyler's name. Mr. Hyler. Yeah. Mr. Senator Hyler, how say you? Is the respondent, Andrew Johnson, President of the United States, guilty or not guilty? My, my vote has been pledged, but I cannot go before my maker as an accomplice in this conspiracy. Not guilty. Lincoln said, to Andrew Johnson, Americans can never pay their debt of gratitude. If nearly two-thirds of the Senate was right in voting the removal of Andrew Johnson as president for high crimes and misdemeanors, then Abraham Lincoln was wrong. History has retried the case, and after three quarters of a century, we have placed before you history's just and final verdict. Andrew Johnson did not give up his battle to reunite the states when he left the White House. Several years later, he returned to Washington, once again a senator from Tennessee. Before the senator-elect from Tennessee is escorted to the bar to take the oath of office, the chair invites a few words from the only former president to become a member of this body after he left the White House. Mr. President, Senators, when I last occupied this seat in 1861, I was surrounded by empty desks. Now I see that they are no longer vacant. Virginia, the Carolinas, Alabama, Louisiana, and Texas, Mississippi, Florida, Arkansas, and Georgia, you are all back in the fold as Tennessee stands here in your midst. I see, as I greet you who sit here about me, that what Lincoln fought for, lived for, and died for, at long last has come to pass. The union of the states, one and inseparable, now and forever. <laughs> Thank you, Lionel Barrymore, Gary Cooper, Ruth Hussey, and Ralph Morgan for appearing tonight with the Lady Esther Screen Guild Players and for telling us the story of Tennessee Johnson. It was our great pleasure to be here, Mr. Bradley, 
and knowing that the benefits from this program go to support the Motion Picture Relief Fund and its country house. We hope to be back soon. And now before we tell you about next week's program, here's a word from one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Miss Hussey. I wonder how many of my listeners have ever bought a shade of face powder because it looked perfect in the box and then been bitterly disappointed in the way it looked on your skin. Now, in justice to your own appearance, I honestly believe it's a mistake to select a powder by its color in the box or by taking any other person's guess as to what is your right shade. You must see different shades on the skin of your own face and not your hand or arm. You must have the testimony of your own mirror to prove that you have found the most flattering shade for your face. Now, it's needlessly expensive to buy even one shade that may prove unflattering. That's why I want to send you, at no cost, nine different shades of my face powder. Then you'll see with your own eyes which shade makes you look younger, fresher, lovelier. So send tonight for all nine free shades of my face powder. Send me a penny postcard with your name and address. Mail it to Lady Esther, Chicago. I'm sorry, but government regulations will not permit me to make this offer in Canada. Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present the human comedy starring Mickey Rooney and Frank Morgan. Be sure to listen. Gary Cooper can soon be seen in Paramount's Technicolor production, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Lionel Barrymore appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Golden-Mayer and the mayor of the town radio program and can soon be seen in Dr. Gillespie's criminal case. Ruth Huzzy also appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Golden-Mayer. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. To save materials, buy the larger size of Lady Esther face cream. Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther, saying thank you and good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.